0: Hello, listeners. Producer Gabe here. Just stopping in to let you know that this episode was live recorded at the San Diego Comic Con in 2023. This episode is part one of two, and it's not only the first live recording, but it's the first episode of season two. Thank you so much for listening in season one, and we can't wait for you to hear season two. Thanks. <laughs>
1: Welcome to The Future Starts With You, season two. We are excited to continue our exploration of career readiness initiatives with the people doing the real work in the field, from the classroom to administrators, industry and beyond. I'm Jewel Alderson with the San Diego County Office of Education, and we believe career readiness can impact our North Star objective of reducing poverty in our community. We are excited to have you with us today because like the title says, the future starts with you. I am Jewel Alderson and I am so excited to have everyone here with me for our first in-person live taping of The Future Starts With You. This is a podcast that is really about ensuring our students are future ready. And so uh, as my role at the San Diego County Office of Education is to support career readiness for our K-12 students across San Diego County, I go from school to school, interview teachers, administrators, and members of the community who are making an impact on the future of our students. Uh, I do know that there is a huge future for our students that is right here at Comic-Con. And so I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about future readiness with some amazing players in the field of preparing our students for creative careers. So I am thrilled to have some folks here and some others that are maybe landed 20 minutes ago. Another one is almost here. And so just like uh, any star power, we hopefully will have some very exciting entrances uh, as we get through the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, So thank you for joining me. Uh, I will put this up again at the end for those of you who are in the audience. If you would like to listen to this podcast once it goes public in the next week or two, uh, you can follow us uh, here. We just finished our first season uh, with 15 episodes and about 600 listens. So that might feel like small potatoes, but for us, that's very exciting. And we can't wait for this to kick off our new season. And so uh, today, our esteemed panel uh, has a number of people who have a different reason to be here because they all really care about the future of our students and how that pertains to creative careers. So I am going to let them each introduce themselves. Uh, if you could tell us what you do and share a little bit about the pathway to your creative career, that would be fantastic. So let's go ahead and start
2: here with Emily Schindler. Hi, my name is Dr. Emily Schindler. I am the Director of Education at the Comic-Con Museum here in San Diego. Uh, So I just wanna quickly plug the Comic-Con Museum. If you are local here, please come and visit us. We have an entire education center dedicated to teaching what we have going on here at the convention. Um, My pathway to my creative career uh, I started out not knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, I was an English major in college, and like many English majors, I became an English teacher. Um, so I taught from 2005 in, to 2014 in K-12 classrooms, primarily in Minnesota. Um, and then I went back and did my graduate, uh, my PhD in design informal, formal and creative education, uh, where I studied how people learn in makerspacers. And so... Uh, when I, when this job came up as a geek myself, I knew that this was, I couldn't pass up the opportunity, so I'm happy to be here with y'all today.
0: Thank you. Hi, my name is Stacey Snyder. I'm an actress and producer. I founded a film production company called Mooncastle Films. I'm sorry, am I like too close to the, I think you're Okay, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay right here. Um, that centers Women and underrepresented folks in story cast and crew. Um, I also work with the Brick Foundation, uh, which Wayne and I, Matthew and I have worked on together, um, which really helps create pathways for students and emerging talent into animation, gaming, and VFX, as well as. Create, create pathways for people to become leaders in these fields. Um, I started in this creative industry as an actor and came to LA with my BFA in theater performance, and nothing happened because there is no roadmap and there are no steps to take, and everyone's journey is completely different. Um, so I was really finding that. There, since there was no roadmap, I had to make my own. So through building network and connections, I realized that I wanted to take more creative control and start producing as well. And I'm really grateful that I met the founders, the, one of the founders of Brick, um, the kickball team and got to get looped into this work because it really aligns with my values as well. And it's um, just amazing to see the kind of impact that people are making in this industry and how much we are championing these young folks so that they can be successful in these careers.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and some of you could be, this could be the kickball team. So (laughs) at the end of this, if you're like, I want to do things for creative careers, uh, come and talk to us because... Uh, And even if you're listening on the podcast, reach out because um, that is what the power also of Comic-Con is, is the network. Uh, And we know in education, it's a network. And so we want to continue that work. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about where you, uh, what your career came from. Sure.
3: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, My name is Matthew Waney. I've been teaching for over 25 years. I started by doing Teach for America in rural Texas years ago, Uh, taught high school English and theater, and then ultimately wanted to go into writing myself. So I got a master's at USC in screenwriting. So I continued to work in the industry as a writer and and as a director for some shorter projects projects and continue to to teach along that time as well. Um, And 10 years ago, I was asked to, um, I'm at LA Unified right now, um, where I'm leading a, um, we're at a middle school, which is K through 12, uh, and I teach the high school animation and video production pathways. Uh, Those didn't exist at the time that they hired me, so they brought me in to sort of help build that. um, And we've been able to do that by writing grants, bringing in partnerships. Um, Primarily, my students are lower income students, um, weren't really like aware even of a lot of the jobs that existed in both animation and and uh, video production. So um, just introducing that to them and really sort of getting them engaged with that. Uh, and through the process, we've been ha- able to have some great partners, including the Brick Foundation, um, which we were their pilot program back in 2018. Um, and then the last couple of years, uh, my advanced, uh, animation kids have been one of three programs in all of North America working with Nickelodeon, where my kids have done 3D design. 2D animated shorts, as well as uh, a series development where they created a Bible. Uh, That was all last year. And so they had one, once a month, they would have a master class with people from Nickelodeon. And then later that month, they would start presenting their own projects so that they could kind of get feedback from that. So I'll elaborate on that as we go forward. But thank you for being here. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about the field itself, because the reason we need to have these programs uh, we know that that building is already full, but there are really specific challenges that a lot of these programs are here to address. And so um, let's start with Stacy. Stacy, what are some of the challenges you are seeing as a member of the creative industry and within the creative industry? Um, And what programs, I know you mentioned a little bit of the Brick Foundation, but maybe you can elaborate, but what programs are you working on in industry to address these challenges? Amazing, thank you. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've really come to understand
0: on a deeper level is that it really is all about who you know in this industry. You can be extremely talented writer, artist, actor, anyone. You can have wonderful talent and great work ethic, but if you don't have that network of folks who can help uplift you, then it can be really challenging to get seen and to move forward in your career in the ways that you would like. Um, And I think that what is a little bit lost is that you can create those connections. You don't have to be born into them. So that's something that the Brick Foundation is doing. We have an apprenticeship program. It's the first um, state and federally recognized animation apprenticeship where we get students um, and emerging talent to come apply with us. And if they're accepted, they get job placement at one of these major studios. So they are getting on the job paid work and they have a mentor there at the studio. They have a brick mentor to help them develop skills, and we make sure that they're really career ready by help, giving them the hard skills and the soft skills trainings to flourish in this environment. Um, there's also additional education for them and support if they need a bus pass to get to the to get to the job, we'll cover that. We really wanna make sure that they are able to access these jobs and that we're not asking them to do free labor with internships, which is also something that's really common or was really common in this industry, was you have to come and do a lot of free work to make that connection and make those network connections. Um, But a lot of people, that's not an opportunity that they you have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some challenges. Uh, I, because I'm in the K-12 side of workforce development, um, you hear a lot of people say, well, there's not money in creative careers. There's not that many jobs. And the more that we come together and see the technical jobs that are here, and I don't know if you see this, but a lot of the grants that we apply for in K-12, they have some resistance towards some of the creative sides. Uh, And one of the things we found is that A weird barrier is that federal job categories uh, haven't been updated in so long that these careers don't live in there. And so somebody who is maybe a game designer will either be an IT specialist or a cartoonist, uh, the way that they categorize them. And so it's really hard for us to figure out where the jobs are and who's looking for jobs until we start talking to industry. And industry is like, the jobs are here. The jobs are here. Please bring us your students. And so I think... Um, I've uh, worked very closely with my colleague at the California Department of Education who has really spearheaded work to bring together industry in service of creative careers. And so uh, Allison Frenzel couldn't be here with us at the last minute, but um, you know, I think it's this alignment of education and industry that can make such a huge impact. So I don't know if anyone else wants to speak to as you've worked with industry, Matt, uh, if you have any insight there.
3: Um, yeah, and, and one thing is sort of like getting the word out there is talking about my students did not necessarily know about those jobs, but even also talking to parents, because uh, as Jewel had said, like sometimes, oh, you know, there's no money in that. There's not a viable career. There are jobs out there that were that and definitely through COVID, like there were there are companies that were often offering signing bonuses because they just needed people to sort of fill those 3D and, and uh, visual effects types of jobs. Um, but one thing I know for me was really kind of like not only reaching out to the parents but also the students. And one thing I really stressed to my students is that even though you know a lot of them are like, I can't draw. I don't know how to to do this. Or I don't feel comfortable doing that. And and I really stressed to them like you know not all the jobs in animation, game design, VFX have to be centered on doing the art, like understand it, become better at it, but they need people who can produce that stuff, do the audio, do the different um, managing of the projects moving forward and stuff like that. So we really kind of stress that in my program um, up in Los Angeles. And as we've been working with the Brick Foundation, um, now that they have their apprenticeship program, they've also launched their first pre-apprenticeship program which has been approved across California. So it's not just up in, in LA, but anywhere across that. And as they continue to build that out over the next year, they're going to have more and more sort of remote opportunities, whether it is uh, online classes, training, and different things like that. So for anybody out there who has students who are either middle school, high school, and even elementary, they can get started. But there will be resources and just skills that they can start getting used to and getting to know from there um, as they continue to develop up. And one last thing I'd share is just In addition to Nickelodeon, um, we've had my students be able to go into Illumination Pictures, have a tour there. They've gone to Amazon. They've gone to um, DreamWorks. And again, just sort of seeing those jobs and be able to speak to people. Um, And I think one good thing that came out of COVID is a lot of those studios are doing online guest speakers, panels and stuff like that. So, again, even if you can't get there as an educator, as a parent with your own uh, child or student, Um, There are becoming more resources out there that that are available and accessible Uh,
1: and so as we talk and we started talking about industry and industry needs and where that's shifting and changing um, We also then what we know is that the pathway to industry needs to change and shift Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about what can shift in education and How that might be able to impact our students abilities in those fields. So Emily, what are your thoughts on the shifts in education that we could see in order to better
2: prepare students for creative careers well i mean this is a short podcast so i will i will keep (laughs) my comments brief uh but i i imagine i'm speaking to educators currently and so i guarantee that we could fill many podcasts full of what needs to shift in, in the united states uh education system at this precise moment um but i would just highlight two things number one Um, You know, I've had the great fortune now to work across educational settings. I've, you know, taught every grade from, uh, you know, PK through college and adults. Um, I have been in formal classrooms and I've been in informal institutions like museums and libraries as well. And what I notice across those spaces is that we we have so many of the good ideas all at the same time. And we are not doing our job of connecting those ideas across those spaces. You know, Mm -hmm. as teachers, like if you teach fourth grade versus fifth grade, that's a silo. Never the twain shall meet, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, we just have to start breaking those things down. Um, Our work is collective work. um, And there are people uh, in communities like our museum, for instance, who are trying very hard to be the connectors. and then the second thing that I would say is that um, you know, we need to start recognizing the uh, texts that students take in by choice as important texts. So if that's a Marvel movie, then that is important, right? Because that is where they're having those intergenerational learning experiences. And as formal education institutions, we have to show those things as important and viable pathways to careers as well. Um, You know, reading a book is a lovely thing. I'm an English teacher, believe me, I can't get enough. But most of the literate activity that we undertake now in the 21st century is not print-based reading. Um, and so, uh, I feel like we, we sideline kids very, very early, uh, with our literacy practices and I'm wondering, you know, how we can break those down moving forward.
1: Uh, yeah, I think one of the things, like you said, you know, there's a lot of good ideas that are all happening often at once. Come on up to the front. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And as those ideas are happening, what does consistency look like? How do we make sure everyone has that chance to um, consistently experience that in our classrooms? So, all right, here we go. We're this is, uh, I was like, you know, we got to make an entrance, right? So James Fauntleroy is uh, heading onto the stage for those of you who are uh, listening at home, and uh, you know, it, traffic is always a challenge, and Comic Con adds seventeen layers to that. So, <laughs> thank <laughs> Thank you for joining and making it. Hello. All right. Hello, everyone.
4: Hello. Look at all of you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, it it on. Thank you. Hello, Hello everyone.
1: Well, since we already did our introductions, can I give you a moment to sure. uh, introduce yourself and share a little bit about the pathway you took to the creative career that you're in?
4: I'm James Fauntleroy. I'm a songwriter and a producer and a school Starter. I started a school in Inglewood about six years ago. I just got back from China. We opened one in Thailand. I mean, Taiwan, excuse me. Thailand's next. And also one in Beijing. As a songwriter, I've written songs for everyone and their mom, literally people's moms. Um, I wrote songs with Rihanna and Drake and Chris Brown and Beyonce and Big Sean and Kendrick Lamar and the whole rest of the panel would be me listening off all these people I worked with. And then this year, I designed um redesigned Mickey Mouse for Disney's hundredth anniversary, which was um my life dream. I never dreamed of doing music. I always wanted to be a designer. So I I'm saw that on your excited. Twitter feed.
1: Looks amazing. Several
4: times. It's on <laughs> air quite a few times. I may bring it up again more today. And also I'm wearing a real emerald. This is the Eye of Agamotto from ECG. And they just gave me this to show you guys. They didn't give it to me because I can't even afford this (laughs) in any sort of way. But that's me, everybody. Hey, guys. All right.
1: Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a journey because I've gotten the text updates throughout the day. And so uh, I'm so glad Oh, I
4: like your outfit.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I've got... I've got a crown hiding under here too, so uh, I'm Wonder Woman for those of you who are listening later. I have to remember that uh, you can't all see uh, as this is technically a podcast recording. All right. So um, as we're kind of diving into those changes that we need to see, um, I think one question which I actually didn't put on the list, um, and it is a driving force between or behind a lot of the work that we see, is equity. And so um, as we we look at a space where, um, you know, representation matters so, so, it's so important uh, to have representation, I wonder how that impacts the work that you all are doing and um, why that is a piece of the work that you have. Yeah, the
0: the Brick Foundation has an annual summit once a year um, that I produce, and we have two different days. We have one day that's the industry day where we get industry leaders together and talk about the biggest issues facing DEIA in the industry right now, and come up with a think tank solutions and then action on those solutions. The apprenticeship that we talked about earlier, that was a conversation that happened at Summit that said we need to create spaces and create paid opportunities for people because they can't come and do unpaid labor. Um, So that's also a great training Ground because we ask the, our different sponsors and studios to come and bring their folks who normally don't come to these kinds of things. So we're also really having conversations and educating people about uh, some of the the issues and the problems that have been built into these institutions or that happen in the workplace. We wanna create pathways for people to come and enter the workforce, but we also wanna make sure that the workforce is a safe and healthy environment where they can thrive. So we're really trying to reach in both directions further, deeper and deeper into work culture and leadership. Why why can't people get past uh, entry level jobs and get into management? Uh, You see that if there is Um, a woman or a person of color who is in a leadership position on set, for example, above the line, you'll see below the line more women and people of color than if not. So we do tend to see that if we want to create more equity, we actually need people in leadership who represent that community or who are part of that community. Um, And then our second day is our Talent Day, which is really focused on bringing people from underrepresented communities from historically excluded groups and giving them a chance to interface with industry folks, giving parents the education on the the careers that are available, um, doing skills training. So we'll have software training events so they can learn the different softwares that these industries use. We have teacher training so the teachers can take that back into the classroom and teach their students um, and really just make more access available to, here's how you can get started and here's how you can start practicing now. Here's how can, you can refine your portfolio. Here's a mock interview and really build up your way into the workforce.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, there's something we said about we build all these career pathways in our K-12 and we say, you could go and do these things. And if they get there and they really encounter a work environment that's not welcoming, and not comfortable, um, then we're really not giving them the promise that we started out with. And so, I agree, I think it's that balance between educational programs and then also making sure that you're head of work culture and you're working with those DEI, the diversity, equity and inclusion folks at different companies um, and helping to just engage in these conversations about ensuring that the workplace is really accepting of our students as they have opportunity there for the first time. Anyone else wanna to speak to kind of their initiative and how um, equity is at the forefront of those movements.
4: That's Something, yeah, go yeah, so for just it. Got here. I
1: know I didn't want to like. I Sorry. thought you might need a little moment to rest. No, that's because I've been rest rest so in hard here. in
4: traffic. So I'm like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. And so, like, um, in music and also in and in, in our facet of education, like we, we we've had a lot. We have a lot more um, diversity in the creative side, but where we're really lacking in, in a, you know. Uh, just uh, in an abysmal way is like uh, technical positions and management positions. And it's, it's less ethnic um, and more gender uh, issues. Like there's very few women, although we have groups now, like that's our strategy. Sorry. That's our strategy. We have like a bunch of focus groups specifically because I saw it myself just from my experience in the music business, seeing very few women engineers, very few women um, Mm -hmm. managers, very few women um, in like, executive positions that actually control like budgets and money. And so like when we started the school, then that's when I really saw it for the first time um, with the enrollment and like just even the people that were applying, how the marketing was for education in general. So like that's been our biggest focus. So we've, we've just been for the last five or six years um, starting. A, we started a women's engineering group because that was, you know, that's something that I've seen the five out of a thousand engineers I've met that were women have had so much success. So we've been working with them on a bunch of different fronts to like, just show that that's something that women are not only able to do, but in most cases are doing a lot better than the men in these positions. And so like, that's our that's our biggest thing. And then even like, I, I'm noticing, like speaking of, of different cultures, it's 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 less like that even in other cultures. You know, when I, when I go to Asia, or when I go to uh, Europe, I'll see you know 10 times more women in these types of positions and jobs, but that's really something that we've been focused on and talking about um, a lot every year, more and more. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, I think we all see glass ceilings in many environments. And so uh, that's something when we talk about career pathway work is um, we know that kids, when they're really, really young, they start already seeing what kinds of careers they think that they could have. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with the people that are around them, the people that, they, that represent them, whether it's in media or in their community, um, and, uh, oftentimes when we look like at, let's say at San Diego County, right, our innovation economy happens in this really tight space, kind of in the middle of the county. And when you look at the distribution of students, um, they don't see people in their community, in their neighborhood or in their household who are engaging in some of the innovation careers, whether it's high tech, uh, in a Qualcomm or biotech beach right here. Or, um, when we talk about like the audio, opportunities that they have in LA, and the work that you guys do at 1500 Sound Academy, right, how do kids even know that these jobs exist when they can't even see them? Uh, And so it's really important to get in front of kids early on. Um, I wonder what, uh, and Matt, maybe you're a good one because you're in middle and high school, how are you helping to change some of those dynamics and get in front of kids earlier as they are on that trajectory to their career?
3: Definitely, yeah. Um, And as I said, we're a span school K through 12. Um, I teach the high school components of those pathways, but we have our middle school. We've sort of pushed that down um, three, uh, I guess, six years ago now. Um, one advantage of, of where we are, we are literally across the street from USC. So um, we will get some students volunteering and coming over, and we've set up a partnership with um, with uh, their journalism school, where a lot of their uh, graduate students will come over to introduce them not only to going to college, but careers in in um, in media, uh, as well as sort of really breaking down like representation in media. And we figure that again, the earlier we can get it to our students when they come to me at the high school level, they've got such a solid foundation to be able to build from that. Um, and then back before. COVID um to address like we had started a a, it was a girls um film club after school and it was all student driven so girls were sort of deciding you know what do they want to focus on it was at that point it was primarily video production we didn't do as much animation um at that year but um we brought in different guest speakers for that and different opportunities and the girls actually not only helped create all these they did these documentaries about um nonprofits in their community that could help high school students, middle school students of getting into college, different career opportunities. And again, they went out obviously was helping guide them, provided them the equipment so they could do that stuff. But we had amazing, I think we did 12 different um, documentaries, Um, we picked the top five or six and the girls organized and put on a a community film festival. We had a theater donate their space to us and we had uh, sold out as over 250 uh, people were able to attend that. And not only just from our school, but we actually had the nonprofit com- uh, groups come in to the lobby and sort of had to set up their booths so they could start talking about it. We'd have parents come in like, I didn't even know this was existing here in my own neighborhood. Um, so again, then like, and, and it was sort of, that was across the gamut. We had ones that were based on like engineering, we had stuff that was based on entrepreneurship, And different things. So then again, it wasn't just limited to video production, but again, it just gave those girls a chance to really sort of be the leaders of that, really bring something about that had true impact in their community. And I will say, tying it back to um, to Brick, uh, one of those um, one of my students when I graduated from that went on to go to UCLA's film school and was just accepted into one of the apprenticeship positions for Brick, and she will be working with HBO, working on both. The Last of Us and House of Dragons uh, sort of managing and and helping produce sort of from the VFX side and she ultimately wants to become a director and she just sees that even though it isn't directly directing but knowing how that works in the industry how that is seen and how that collaborates with becoming a director like she's just so excited about it because it's gonna help make her even stronger as she continues to move on.
1: for joining us for another episode. If you have questions about this episode, career readiness in general, or would be interested in being a guest on the podcast, check out the show notes. We would love to hear from you. Keep up the good work until next time, because as you know, the future starts with you.